Welcome to the Whiskey Rebellion. This is David Silkenet in Edinburgh, joined as always by Frank Cogliano, who is calling in from our remote studio in Virginia. How are you doing, Frank? David, hello. Long time no see. Yeah, I know. It's been a while since we've had an episode, <laughs> listeners. So so sorry for that, but uh, good to be back with you, Frank. It is. Good to be back with you. And it's it's Black Friday here in the United States. You know my rant on Black Friday, David. Right. Yes. I, I, it's, um, so I know it's also Black Friday there in the UK, but it well, shouldn't be. It's been be. sort of Black Friday for a month now, and I think it's sort of a <laughs> random, meaningless holiday now. I don't know. It's not even yeah. a thing. But, and you have to explain to British people what it means. And they're like, really? And I guess there's a reason for it. But uh, anyway. Anyway, uh, it, it's great to be back. And, and so, again, sorry for the interruption. We've both been kind of on the road and busy in the past few weeks, and and, and we've kind of lost sight of this. It does beg the question. I met a listener uh, at a conference in New Hampshire about 10 days ago, David, who asked me what the future of the Whiskey Rebellion will be once you go to Florida. And I yes. said, that's a very interesting question and that you and I would be discussing it and we will we don't know as yet. And to some extent, yes. we'd be happy to hear suggestions from, you know, yes. from our Do, our we, do people want this to die or do we want <laughs> us to continue? Um, <laughs> you know, because obviously the original premise of the show is that, that we were two Americans in Scotland and, and there will be one American in Scotland. And, and, you know, right now, obviously, we're, I don't know. We will see what happens in the future. But but that is something that we have been given some thought to and, and are going to have to have some future conversations about. Yeah, so right. if anybody has any views and wants to let us know, we'd be interested. Yes, to one way it. or the other. And yeah. I'm to get a bunch of emails saying, stop it, boys. Please stop. <laughs> well, I've heard from Mimi from Edinburgh. Whatever you do, please stop. Make it stop. <laughs> uh, most All of right. our listener wants us to kill the show. Um, right. Uh, uh, since we're in the, sort of the holiday season, we thought we'd do a somewhat lighthearted episode on on historical epics we've had a number of really big films uh both uh this summer and recently uh that i think would fall into this category things like, like oppenheimer or uh, more recently uh ridley scott's uh new napoleon film and we thought we would talk about that as a genre of film and, and, and different films in american history that might fall under this rubric and the the uh ups and ups and downs of historical epics so, so David, uh, a couple of things. First of all, I want to I want to give the quote from Ridley Scott that's been making the rounds, certainly in among historians on social media, which I'm sure you encountered when uh, Ridley Scott was a little bit tetchy in in response to some of the criticisms he'd been receiving from historians who hadn't even seen the Napoleon film yet, but it only been based on the 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 trailer, mm -hmm. and he said. When I have issues with historians, I ask, excuse me, mate, were you there? No. Well, shut the F up then. <laughs> and I hope that from now on, when we give feedback to students and they don't like it, that is their response. <laughs> so oh, Ridley boy. Scott was basically saying, look, this is a movie. Stop criticizing me because he's been criticized about some of the elements of the film, the firing cannons at the pyramids and so on. I want to I want to. Full disclosure, I haven't seen it yet. Based on what I'm hearing from people, I'm not sure I will. It sounds pretty awful, but well, but I, I the, the that suggest both the, the historical issues, but also it just actually doesn't seem to hold together yeah, as a movie. But, that, that but prompted said, by that, we want to talk about historical epics. Now, I think we decided to stay in our lane. There are lots of historical epics that have been made over the past century or so of filmmaking, but we want to concentrate on films about American history so that we'll, we'll so American history broadly defined, I suppose. Right. So I, I've been trying to think about sort of what 
defines an epic versus other kinds of historical films. And I, I, I think I've come up with a, a topology, a rubric, a genealogy, and I'm curious what you think about this. So I think all right, historical films, there's lots of films that take place in the past, sort of fall into two big categories of things. One are films that are about actual events and try to dramatize them. So like Apollo 13, a historical event, the, all the people, characters are historical figures. You dramatize a thing. The second is a film that takes place in a time period in the past and engages in a story that is set in a historical time period. Uh, and so into this, I would put basically almost every Western, um, most costume dramas um, or period pieces, um, like Gangs of New York, for instance, you know, is a you know historical story about historical themes, but the characters are made up uh, and the story is made up. Um, I put Titanic in this situation as well, actually, where ostensibly it's about a ship sinking but really it's a love story that happens to be set on a ship sinking and so you can make up the characters and nobody really analyzes and i think in in thinking about this questions about like how do you judge these as historians the films that are historical films where they're actually trying to deal with real events and real people i think we have a very different rubric for judging those films than we do for films that are in that sort of second category. They're set in historical time periods, but are not trying to dramatize real events. So nobody criticizing Titanic, and there's lots of things to criticize about Titanic, you know, they, they're not critical about like, oh, there wasn't really a pearl of the ocean or whatever the hell that diamond was called. And, uh, you know, the love story and the particulars about the, you know, all of that, that 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 stuff we should have let that pass because that's not the point of the story um what do you think about that as a rubric i i think as a rubric it works i would slightly disagree with you about titanic because i think titanic is about an event um and and although there's a story it's built around the story in the story that, yeah, but but but, but, but the, I mean, you could you could think about it. You could imagine a, a Titanic film where they were only talking about actual historical people on that yes, boat. Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, and, I mean, and I, which was driven by that narrative, and that would have been we would have we would have judged that as historians in a very different way than the film we got, which is, you know, invented narratives that are on the boat, and we you know judge different parts of the story in different ways. Okay. Yeah. Um, I mean, fair enough. I, let's not get bogged down in that. But I, I think as a rubric, that's good. The, I would also say, because I was thinking about this um, in anticipation of this conversation, mm -hmm. I think, so a film like All the President's Men, mm -hmm. it's a great movie, but it's basically almost contemporaneous with the events. Uh, that is so. So, although we watch it now, fifty years later, and it's it's a, both a historical artifact of that time, but it's about an event. Yeah. in the slightly further past, we can see that as a historic film. I don't see that. I, I, I think historical, I, I don't, we might even decide on how we define an epic, but let's just leave that aside for the moment. I think I think a movie has to be at least one generation removed from the historic events that it's 
depicting if it's going to fit into our discussion today. So that's a qualifier yeah. I would add. Does, does that enough. make sense? Okay. Sure. Uh, so, so Casablanca, for example, great one of my favorite films, mm. but it's about the period in which it was made. It's a contemporaneous film. Yeah. Oh, I think that's also a, a you know, in some ways, is a costume drama too, where it's right. a historical setting. It's really it's a fictional story that is using that particular time period for 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 being you know, recent in the recent past to, to tell very particular kinds of stories. Of the kinds that are historical films, though, I think there's two subtypes. Okay. And the two, two subtypes are the biopic, where it's talking about an individual person and looking at their life. Uh, and the biopics you can subdivide into sort of the historical figure of important significance and the celebrity biopic and i think those are different genres and people judge those differently and movies that are based around particular events that are driven by um either like apollo 13 is a good example or gettysburg um right or or it's very often you know these kinds of battle scenes or kinds of things um so that, that's the sort of subdivisions i would think in terms of, of making sense of of historical epics Okay. Yep. I I, I can I can accept that. And, and I have some observations about the directors that I've noticed. And I'm curious what you think about this because I think this speaks actually to these recent films, both uh, Oppenheimer and and more recently Napoleon. These are films that are made by often by very seasoned directors when they want to make a serious film later in their career. They are all very long. Overlong. In some of the films I think we're going to talk about today are just like just too long to actually watch in the city. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, Oppenheimer was over three hours. Um, you know, the Napoleon film is over three hours. Lots of these films are over three hours. Um, Gettysburg, the uh, 1993 movie, which I think has the, the maybe the record for this is 254 minutes. So it's four hours. And there's a director's cut, which is 271. So if you want, like, which is almost as long, the battle lasted three days, and, and the movie isn't quite that long, um, but there are times where it seems like they're doing things in real time. Um, so they, they tend to be very long movies, and I think those two things are, are fascinating, that this is a, a, a type of film that a director makes late in their career and say, I'm going to make a serious film uh, even after making other films which were of you know more designed as entertainment pieces yeah so is that what makes an epic does it have to be about big events and be super long is, is that an, and a cast of thousands as the expression goes yeah I mean I can't can you think of an epic that doesn't do those things I mean Apollo I guess 13 doesn't have cast of thousands but that's because it's on a spaceship and the ships are small um but most of the rest of these are are big budget um, kind kinds of enterprises. Uh, yeah, I think. I mean, your your observation about the directors is interesting because I think some people have been making historical epics for a long time, even when they were relatively young. I mean, Ridley Scott, you know, made Gladiator almost 25 years ago for example but gladiator is a i think is 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 not an epic in the same way because it's a fictional story 
right? And oh, I think I, we judge. I think between, you're splitting here hairs here. No, I think no, no, no. I think, is a I, I, epic. But but well, I think it's an epic of a certain kind. It's a narrative epic, right? It's an epic story. It's an epic film. But I think the way people judge films like Gladiator versus things that are are based on actual people, I think both historians and the public, I think, judge those slightly differently. Um, you know, because he can have Maximus do whatever the hell he wants because it's a made up story, right? And whereas he can't, you know, or he could, but people are going to call him on it, have Napoleon do whatever he wants uh, because, you know, we are some degree bound by a historical record. And so part of it, I think, is how you market these films. If you say, look, I am going to try to do an epic film that's trying to say something about the past and about the present. And all films of this kind are, are both saying something about the past and the present. Um, you know, you are in some ways constrained like historians are about, by things like sources and, and interpretations and, and evidence. Um, whereas if you're making Gladiator, you can fuck with stuff just because you, you want to make a good, good well. movie. All right, I, I think I have a slightly more capacious definition of an epic than you do, but but I think you know let let's talk mm. through some examples rather than we're doing what academics do, which is we're heavily theorizing this and not actually do, talking about anything interesting. So let's move on to some films. Well, so one, one final point before we get to the films is I think actually if you look at the history of film, there the early history of epic films, I think they 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 don't have the these things these all these categories that I just defined that, that how we sort of think about things. Film today didn't exist, and the gulf between what was considered a historical film and a historical fiction was all muddled in the say the first half of the 20th century. You know, and so when D.W. Griffith makes Birth of a Nation, which is has some historical bits in it, but has a lot of fiction built into it, you know, Woodrow Wilson can say it was history written with lightning, supposedly, right? That the conception of what historically accurate is in a film has evolved a lot since early filmmaking until now. But I would you consider Birth of a Nation an epic historical film? Because I would. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think right, that's okay. part of it's the definition our definition of what an epic is has changed over time is the point I'm trying to make. Right. Oh, I got that, you. That, that, okay. Yeah. I mean I uh as keen listeners will know, I spent uh several formative semesters as a Soviet studies major. Uh and that meant I took a really interesting course on Russian film, Soviet film. Um, and and um, the the best historical epics from that period and and are um, I think Eisenstein's Battleship Potemkin, which mm. really does stand the test of time and does isn't freighted with the same problematic material that um, Birth of a Nation is. It's roughly contemporaneous with it, and and, uh, and his Ivan the Terrible, which is a, a biopic by. But we're not talking we're, by confining ourselves to to American history. We're 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 narrowing in the field. I think in a in yeah. a in a reasonable way. All right, let's let's talk movies. Um, so, are we counting down? Are we drafting? I want to. I want. I want to restrict you somewhat. I, I think I'm restricting you. I don't think we can have films about the same events. So, the Civil War has so many films. I was no, thinking it. about this, and I have envy about this as an 18th century guy because my century doesn't. Um, so, I think you can have Glory or Lincoln or Gettysburg. You can't have all three. All three. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, so, I mean, I think that's it's intriguing about what periods of American history end up with these kinds of films and which don't, right? And the Civil War has a disproportionate number of, of, 
films both good and bad and malicious and otherwise um in a way the revolution doesn't and I, i'm fascinated no. by that um you know there were a couple of early films uh, about the revolution um that were early epics like dw griffith made one um did you have you ever seen america made in 1924 i have not it's a silent film that he was asked to make by daughters of the american revolution okay um and it, and it wasn't great um so so i think you can pass on that three or four hour experience of a silent film uh, but you know dw griffith was doing obviously lots of, of obviously the birth of a nation a film i know you haven't seen is which was an early epic was the spirit of 76 made in 1917 and the reason why i'm pretty confident you haven't seen it is because there are no surviving copies do you know the story of this film? Yeah, that's the one where people were were sent to. They were uh, convicted, weren't they, under the Sedition Act for making the British yeah. the enemies, right? Yeah. So, so the director was a German American guy named Robert Goldstein, um, and and it was a, you know this is the silent film era, and it's a weird film. At least the descriptions of it. It's the the main character is a woman who is half a white Quaker but half Native American. Who has this love affair with George III, but he scorns her, and weird stuff happens. Um, but uh, it premieres in May of 1917, so right one month after the U.S. enters World War One. Um, and there's a depiction in the film of the Cherry Valley Massacre and so the, of, of, of British soldiers uh, killing civilians, and. Uh, there's an investigation, and in this, the investigation concludes that the film constituted, quote, aiding and abetting the German enemy because it made our British allies look bad. Right. And he go and they they convict uh, Goldstein under the Espionage Act, right. Uh, right? And he goes to prison for a few years, um, which is fascinating to me, right? Um, you know, they, I think one of the things that epics are trying to do is they're trying to make social commentary. I mean, I think oftentimes they are films about the past that are also about the present. I think this is one where um, obviously all films are about the present because they're trying to at least make money, if nothing else, but also maybe have some social commentary. And and that's one where I'm not sure that was in his intention, um, but but that was clearly the way it was read. Um all right. So, so do you want to draft films then? Is that, is that, is that, the, the, we, yeah. So are we, are we like, do you take your, your, your number one first or you take it last? Are we working down or up? How many, how many, how many are we, we calling for here? Well, I, I don't know. I, and so, and, and yeah, we're drafting them. So if I pick one, you can't pick it. And I don't think, I don't think you can have, more than one okay. Civil War film, although no. I oh, think there's fine. a debate to be had about, say, Glory versus Lincoln. Okay, because one is a biopic, one with your rubric. Yeah. But I think this makes. Although it, Lincoln is 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 intriguing in my top. Let's get to it. Let's get okay. to it. Let's get to it. Sorry. So, so yeah, take your number one first, then. But I, and because, in the spirit of the holidays, I'll let you go first. Oh well, that's very kind. Um, yeah, that's and and especially since I'm 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 figuring this out as we go along. Let me just say a few things though before I pick my number one. Man, long... come on, David. You've said no, we've had a few I... things for twenty minutes. It's... No, it's because I, I have some. I have had some thoughts here, and the question I, I, is, you know, I think I'm evaluating these films on 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 a couple of measures. One is 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 you know how valid a, a presentation of the historical time period is it, 
and whether it's a good film. Yeah, those okay. are two different things, right? Yeah. You can have a good film that does a bad job and you can have a film that's accurate, but it's kind of boring. Um, and I'm going to pick... I'm going to pick a, a one out of left one here. I'm going to pick Malcolm X, 1992. Okay. I think there are times in which there are actually lots of these films that come out roughly the same time with these kinds of, of long... Uh, you know, when there seems to be more interest in this, this type of film. And I think the late 80s and early 90s has has a bunch of them. And I'm going to pick Malcolm X as, as, as my top pick. Okay, so you want to explain that a little more? Sure. So, well, this is a fast, it's a Spike Lee film. It uh, stars Denzel Washington as, as Malcolm X. And it's a film that had a very long uh, gestation period, if you will. There are people who are trying to make Malcolm X films going all the way back into the early 70s. Um, Malcolm X dies, of course, in 1965, and, and the autobiography is published and whatnot. But there's a variety of, of, of iterations of Malcolm X films. Um, but Spike Lee makes this in 92, having already established himself as a as a an important director, but this is his first his big foray into historical films or films that are trying to, to do something different than, than do the right thing or what have you. Um and, and it's a biopic of Malcolm X, as, as the title implies. It was a film that Spike Lee had difficulty getting funding for because uh, lots of studios didn't want to put money behind a black filmmaker making a serious film about a controversial figure uh, from the recent past at that point. Uh, and so it's a film that ends up getting funded by black celebrities in large part. Um, Bill Cosby, um, Obviously problematic now, but then not so much. Uh, Oprah Winfrey, Michael Jordan, um, Janet Jackson, uh, Prince, all donated money to help support the film. A and it was seen very much in the context, I think, of, of um, the end of apartheid. Nelson Mandela actually has a cameo in the film. Um, and it was a film that was controversial at the time because I think, you know, or Spike Lee told uh, black parents to pull their kids out of school the day it opened to go to see it in theaters, that it was more important than what was taking place in school. And he requested that uh, media outlets only send um, black journalists to interview him about the film. Um, so there's a you know, question about what, what does that film say about race relations, both in the United States and around the world in 1992. Uh, but I think it's a good film in terms of, of, of dealing with big themes of Malcolm X's life, but also dealing with big themes about what race looks like in the early 90s. So uh, that's my top pick. All right, good. What's your top pick? Godfather 2. Godfather 2, okay. Now, that's so, a, a fictional and, story, so you're going to use a different rubric than mine. That's fine. Right, but it's, yeah, it is a fictional story, but it's, you know, that's the one with the extended flashback to the early part of the 20th century and the Corleone family in, mm. in New York. Uh, yeah, I have, as I said, I have a more capacious definition than you do. Uh, in thinking about this, it's amazing how many, and again, I'm going to confine myself, so if you, you can't do lots of Civil War movies, there are lots of gangster films that I think would actually count as historical epics. Mm. The, the Irishman, for example, fit, I think fits your rubric. Um, uh, it's certainly long. Um, Miller's Crossing, the first Godfather movie, which is a portrayal of New York in the 1940s to a large extent. Mm. But I think 
Godfather 2, which both looks at the um, sort of immigrant experience, Italian-American immigrant experience in New York at the first part of the 20th century, and then goes forward down to Las Vegas later. And the, the, uh, I, I think I think that's a, well, it's one of the best American films of the 20th century anyway. It's probably the best sequel ever made. Um, and and I I would count that as a historical epic. Would you? You wouldn't. I I think that's you know it's it's based on a novel, and I think it's if it's based I, I on know. a novel, you know that's a it's a different kind of film, you know. And I think we judge it in different kinds of ways. When people say, "Look, this is things," you know, if, if people were to point out, "Look, this is not actually how the mob works," people would say, "Yes, but you're missing the point of the film. That's not the point of the film, right?" If people say, "Actually, politics in in." You know, Sicily doesn't work exactly that way. Well, then people would say you're missing the point of the film. You know, and I think there's a different category of film which would people. But the second one really is so. So the reason I will defend it as a historical epic is it is set in a particular historic period and it depicts the immigrant experience for tens of millions of people in that in that period of what was then called the new immigration. So that, okay. that's my defense of the film. Yeah. So. Yeah. As I said, I think we've got slightly different um, rubrics. That's, that's, that's fine. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so I guess my, my, my pick is next. I'm going to pick, and again, this is, is uh, there seems to be a, 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 a looking at my list here of, of films I'm, I'm endorsing, there seems to be lots of films in the 90s, and I'm not quite sure what that says about that time period as a, a uh, both in terms of my 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 knowledge of film and and when these kinds of films are made, um, is thirteen days, which um, is a uh, depiction of the Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, it's stars Kevin Costner, um, who I have mixed feelings about, uh, but it's based um, on Robert Kennedy's book, which is also called Thirteen Days, about uh, the inner workings of the the Kennedy administra administration during the um, Cuban Missile Crisis, and I think this is a good example of a you know a film that is based on an event. You know, it is really defined by what happens in those thirteen days. Um, and I was really impressed in watching the film about how, how seriously it took it, its obligation to to try to depict these events accurately. Um, you know, they're, they're like scenes that have relatively minor figures from the Kennedy administration, but they look and sound right. I'm like, oh, look, there's McGeorge Bundy. That's, you know, who I would imagine nine out of every 10 movie viewers either knows about nor cares about. But I think they sort of that kind of attention to detail, I think, matters when you're dealing with those kinds of issues. And I think uh, sometimes you get dinged when you when, when you don't. You know, at least for me, it's distracting when those kinds of films and that style are um, you know don't have that kind of attention to detail. Have you seen Thirteen Days? I have. Yeah, it's very good. Yeah. It's a good choice. But but I, I, what I'm wondering about is, and again, is the challenge, especially if we're using your criteria. Uh, when they're well-known events or what we think mm. are well-known events or events, big events involving well-known people, mm. we become concerned about how accurate the people are. Right. Yeah. I mean, um, and, and isn't that, is that distracting? Does it matter? 
Again, well, we don't care. We don't care what's. We don't know what Spartacus look like, so we don't care yeah. that Kirk Douglas plays him. Right? It's fine. Well, um, so, so I guess the question, you know, with an event like that, is does the and does the film work as a film? And you know, is is there dramatic tension? Are you worried about whether or not World War Three is going to break out? Given that we all know that World War Three doesn't break out. Do you feel in the film like you're worried that it will? Right. And and I think the fact that they're able to dramatize an event where we all know the ending, but still make it suspenseful enough to make the the decisions made by the characters slash historical actors meaningful. That I think is a real trick to be able to dramatize something and, and give it that kind of dramatic weight that you you know that two or three or three plus hours in a film um you know make that a, a meaningful cinema experience uh whether you know the story or not right and i think you know thinking about how well things do at the box office i don't think 13 days did great compared to no. obviously like the godfather but it did okay um and uh you know, trying to do both of those things well, you know, to see and speak to multiple audiences, somebody who either knows a lot about that topic and somebody who doesn't know anything at all about the topic uh, is, is, is a real trick. Um, and, and so, you know, people can do it successfully. I find that very impressive. Okay. Um, what's your, now, what's your number? Well, I'm torn now tactically. It's mine no, tactically. in order of preference, but like, am, are we playing a game? Are we in competition with each other? Do I want to grab something ahead of you? Um, so I, I am now. It's not a competition, Frank. We're, 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 well, we're allies and not enemies. David, let us not forget there is absolutely nothing at stake in this conversation. <laughs> That's fair enough. <laughs> um, so I'm torn then. Right, in my Civil War entry, and it's amazing how many of these are war films. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I tried to not just do war films, in fact, but I think I'm torn between Glory and Lincoln, mm. and I'm going to take Glory, because okay. I think of all the Civil War films, Glory is the best one. I would agree with that. That was going to be yeah. my next pick anyway, so good. Ah, you can take it. Yes! <laughs> I guess thank you. I, I just okay. think it, it's, I, in fact, I recently had cause to rewatch it on, on, a, on an airplane, and um, it's really, really good, and it really yeah. holds up. And there's very little fighting in it, actually. It's it's yeah. not really a war movie in the sense that, um, you know, uh, in the sense that, like, Gettysburg, which mm. I don't think is a very good film, is endless, yeah. and there's a lot of fighting in it. Um, but but Glory's not really about fighting. It's about race and the Civil War and race in the United States, and, and I just think it, it holds up well. I think the acting performances are all great. It's the best thing Matthew Broderick mm. ever did, probably. Um, Morgan Freeman's great, Denzel Washington. Every it, it, It's a really, really good film, and, and it holds up really well. Although I've drafted it, I'm happy to defer to you with the subject area expertise. Yeah, if well, you so I, and it's I in think, that same time period as well. No, no, I think you're right. There, there's, that, there's this window where there, there's a lot of these kinds of films. Um, that uh, I've seen Glory dozens of times. I've shown it to students dozens of times, and actually, that's probably that film is probably the reason why I'm here, right? Like, I think my interest in the Civil War dates back to that film, and I, I think, you know, 
that and the Ken Burns documentary came out about the same time. And, and, and you know, I think that's an interesting moment. Um, I think it stands up very well as a film. I think there's some interesting choices it makes that um, if that film were to be made today would be different in as much as, as I think as all the listeners probably know that glory is a story of the 54th Massachusetts regiment, which is one of the first black regiments, but it tells the story of that regiment uh, through the eyes of, of its white officer. And if you think about who are the characters in that film who are historical figures, well, you've got uh, Robert Gouldshaw, who is the Matthew Broderick character. There's a couple of other white officers who are based on real people. Uh, Frederick Douglass has a cameo for like 15 seconds. Uh, Governor Andrew has a cameo for two seconds. Uh, so there's some historical people who are in there. The African-American characters are all fiction. And one could imagine a different version of that story or a different version of, of, of that movie that centers actual historical figures that we know about. Like two of Frederick Douglass's sons were in that regiment. If he had told the movie from their and you know perspective, um, that would have been a very different movie. Um, so, you know, and I think that says to me about what Hollywood was willing to do when that movie came out. Uh, but that that all that being said, um, I think you know it's a really extraordinary movie and one that for the most part holds up. Um, they attack in the wrong direction at the end of the battle, at the end of the movie. And there is a digital watch at one scene. Um, but you know, you gotta be an eagle-eyed viewer to catch the digital watch. Um you have to see it dozens of times. Dozens, well, we gotta watch closely. There you'll see there's one character who has a digital watch on, uh, which is not not historically appropriate. Um Right. All right. So since I took that, you took. Uh, so, so David, would you agree with my dismissal of Gettysburg? Oh, Gettysburg is. Um, well, I, mean, I think we should also talk about the, the worst films and Gettysburg isn't the worst film, but it's. So just for uh, background, for those people who haven't seen Gettysburg, uh, it's directed by Ron Maxwell. It came out in 1993. So it's also in this sort of early 90s. Um, heyday of these kinds of things it's based on michael shara's book killer angels so it's based on a historical novel the one that was fairly deeply researched uh it starred a bunch of important people uh martin sheen uh, was in it as as robert e lee uh jeff daniels was in it um everybody's in it i mean uh, sam elliott's in it yeah um and it was uh created by ted turner he was sort of putting up the money behind it and originally it was supposed to be, I think, like a, a mini series on TNT. But then, then when they saw early cuts of it, they said, this is really good. We should release this in theaters. So they did. But it's four hours. Like it's it's when it released it on DVD, it's two discs. It's a it's a monster of a movie. Um, and. It's. A lot of fighting. I mean, there's a lot of. People lining up behind various stone walls and shooting at each other, which, if you know the Battle of Gettysburg, they do a good job of recreating most of it. Um, but they actually don't deal with any of the big issues of the war. Like, they don't deal with slavery. They don't deal with secession. Um, it, it does a lot of... It, it's very appealing to the people, kind of people who like the Civil War, but don't like to actually talk about slavery or race or 
any of the sort of big underlying um, issues of of the conflict. They were people who like tactics. They love this movie. Uh, people who love heroism and that kind of uh, that's what they're looking to get out of film. They love this movie. I know lots of Civil War buffs watch Gettysburg every year because they, you know, it's it, it's an there are bits of it that are very inspiring if you're inspired by people charging at each other with bayonets. Um, right. But um, there's a there was a sequel to to Gettysburg, which is worse, um, which is called Gods and Generals, um, which you I'm not sure whether you've seen that. That's also about. Not. Yeah, it's also about four hours. Uh, and that's actually also based on another novel. Um, it's based on uh, Michael Shera's son's novel, Jeff Shera's novel. Um, uh, about, it's about sort of the early Civil War and especially about Stonewall Jackson. And that one's does even a less good job at dealing with uh, slavery and race. So I think, you know, that's a really problem. Both of those are pretty problematic films. Um, I can see why some people like Gettysburg, but but I think it's uh, the the challenge. You know, I think if you're going to have to pick one film that does battlefield Civil War stuff, you definitely should watch Glory. I think that's uh, you know far away a better a better film. So, what's your choice, next choice in the in the list, David? Oh, geez. Okay, so I, I'm I'm gonna go with, with Lincoln, um, since I have to since you took my. Uh, took glory from me um and, and took glory an, from you that'll, you that'll glory be our legacy yeah uh, <laughs> you know. um and, and lincoln's a, a fascinating film which i imagine also many of our, our listeners have, have have seen uh it's a weird one because you would think from its title it's a biopic but it's not it's actually a uh you know it's about the 13th amendment so, you know, in terms of my topology there, that these films are either biopics or they're about events. This one is actually about an event. It's about the ratification of the 13th Amendment and not actually about Lincoln's life. I think actually in an early version of the film, they were going to make it about the totality of Lincoln's life. Uh, but it actually only ends up being only about this relatively brief moment um, in, in 1864 and 1865. Uh, after Lincoln's reelected, uh, but before his uh, second inaugural, um, it's a fascinating film. And as much as they they went to great lengths, I think, to try to get it to be historically accurate, uh, they had a whole team of of historians uh, as um, consultants on the film to make sure they got things right. So they got, you know, David Blight was a consultant and. Catherine Clinton was a consultant and they, um, you know, Spielberg brought in all people who, who really knew the subject very well to make sure that they were, were, were paying attention to detail. Um, and they did interesting things to, to sort of in that sort of fidelity element. For instance, there's one bit in which you can hear Lincoln's pocket watch ticking. And they went and recorded Lincoln's actual pocket watch ticking so that you could listen to it on the film and it's actually Lincoln's pocket watch. Mm-hmm. Which seems to me like accuracy, but without actually any point because a pocket watch sounds like a pocket watch. Um, but but uh, I think that's a, a very, very good film. They, they make some interesting historical choices that I don't fully understand, but uh, I think it, it, it's a 
yeah, the performances are are excellent. All right. So so what's next for you? Yeah, I would agree with that. And the other thing I would note, David, is of course it's directed by Steven Spielberg, who's hmm. directed a number of epics, most of which I suspect won't make this list, but could well in other circumstances hmm. do so. So Schindler's List, not about American history, but of course is a Spielberg film. Um, Saving Private Ryan, which I don't think I'm going to choose, uh, but, yeah. but it's, it's a Spielberg movie as well. So uh, he, I think he directed, it's good that he's re- represented. He also there. directed Amistad, which which I think may have been in my honorable mentions list. I'm not sure how long we're going to get, how deep we're going to go on our list, but Amistad from 1997, um, you know, again is trying to depict actual historical events with you know. Um, And that was a moderately successful film. What do you think are the, are the worst uh, of of these films? I mean, again, we mentioned Gettysburg as being problematic. What films do you think are really bad? Oh, the or, Patriot or fail in this endeavor. Okay, so tell me about why, why, why. Well, it's absurd. It's loosely. Well, sorry, we're, we're getting off track though. I would say the Patriot is is my all time worst because that's about the American Revolution, and it's just absurd in its portrayal. It's loosely based on Francis Marion, who was a partisan in South Carolina, um, uh, who is played by. He's, it's a fictionalized version. It's uh, played by Mel Gibson, but. Um, they get some of the fighting stuff. You know, this was one where they use the right muskets and stuff like that, but kind of missed the whole mm. point. Um, you know, the British are absurdly evil, <laughs> and I mean, is he, and and Mel Gibson's you know uh, fictionalized version of Francis Marion. There's a scene where he's paying um, uh, his black workers. Well, he was it was South Carolina in the 1770s. He was a he was so, a slaveholder. You know, and, and and they kind of tried to fudge that a little bit. So the Patriots are top of my list. Um, and and uh, yeah, that's uh, that would be mine. Uh, anyway, but my next on the list, uh, unless you want to talk about bad movies, um, is um, well, I, I'm torn because these are they're not similar films, and I, I they're sanct- they're a century apart, more than a century apart. So mm-hmm. I think I can choose both of them. Okay. But I guess I'll go with the a real favorite of mine, the Canadian movie Black Robe. Do you know Black Robe? Oh, um, I've heard of it, but I've not seen it. Tell me about it. It's made by Bruce Beresford. It uh, came out in 91, I think. And it's um, it's about a Jesuit missionary, the Black Robe, uh, to the Huron in the 1630s. So it's it's about North American history as opposed to, it's certainly not U.S. history, obviously. And it's a really, you know, it came out at approximately the same time as Dances with Wolves did. Hmm. Obviously, Dances with Wolves did much better. But uh, as far as both having a pretty large indigenous cast and also dealing fairly sympathetically and and uh, with some sophistication with the whole uh, concept of what we now call settler colonialism, it was a, it's it's a and it's a very good movie and I, yeah. they, it's not an epic in the sense that millions of people went to see it and it made lots and lots of money but it's um it's a very it, it's it's a really really good movie so I would choose that and I'm gonna I'm conscious of the time so the other one that's on my list which is about a novel so that might rule it out in your thinking yeah. um would be Last of the Mohegans which is a film again approximately the same time I think that's what 92 maybe um, yeah. um by Michael Mann and that had all kinds of reasons there were all kinds of reasons to expect that that might be awful Michael Mann made Miami Vice um mm. and it's based on a not very good novel by James Fenimore Cooper this is a case where the film is much better 
than the than the um, than the book. Um, Daniel Day Lewis stars. He's in a lot of epics, actually. Um, yeah. And it's a, it's a very very good film, and it's based. It's set in the period of the Seven Years' War, the French and Indian Wars. It's called in the United States. Um, and to some extent, there are some some similarities with Black Robe, but it's it's quite different. It's definitely going for. Uh, a big audience and being an epic film. And I think it pulls it off. I mean, you must've seen Last of the Mohicans. Do you have a view on that? Yeah, 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 yeah. I think one of the interesting things about that film, I think it's true of, of lots of films that um, are dealing with Native American issues is, is how and when they they bring in both Native actors and native consultants into the film, yeah. and I think about you know the more recent film, um, you know, Killers of the Flower Moon, where they they brought in not only a number of of, of, of native actors, but also you know tried to make sure that they were doing the, the history and the culture right. And I think Last of the Mohicans, given when that film came out, was did better than most but it did it doesn't do as well as black robe though black robe, uh, no, and true, so if you yeah. watch those two in context it's it, it, it there's an interesting kind of now, contrast there but it did pretty well i agree I, and i like last of the movie there's 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 a couple of films i want to i want to hear your opinion on before we wrap up jfk hate it endless hate, hate it endless it's so long um it 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 Ruined a generation of students. Um, <laughs> ruined a single well, in the one. sense that we 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 got endless numbers of conspiracy-based dissertations from students in the late nineties, from student and early aughts, from students who'd seen JFK. I mean, the performances are interesting, and if mm. you watch it, I mean, hate it would be an overstatement. Uh, that's unfair. Um, annoyed by it, grossly annoyed by it, because I think. Um, yeah, I find it annoying, but but interesting. I mean, Kevin Costner's performance is actually quite good in JFK. Um, but that's one. Uh, I, I would contrast that with 13 Days. And what's interesting is they're not that far apart. There was a sort of enthusiasm, and I suppose it's because 30 years after mm. the roughly Kennedy's death, when they're making movies about, about Kennedy in different ways. And I think that's about the right period of time to try and take a more balanced view of people. But yeah, yeah. so that would be my take. Because I, I think, you know, in some ways, historical epics that fail are, are almost as more interesting than the ones that are good, right? Yeah. And I think JFK... I think that's a failure. Um, and, and one of the things I think is fascinating about JFK is, you know, I think it holds up as a film if you sort of try to... The history of it's bad. Uh, I think most people who were commentators on it at the time recognize that. But it's a film that had an impact. Congress actually passes a law, the John F. Kennedy Assassination Records Collection Act of 1992, in response to the film, right? right? And so if you're thinking about, you know, films that have impact, um, you know, the fact that students wanted to write about conspiracy theories, okay, that's a bad impact, but at least it's an impact, right? And if you're thinking about one of the things that I think often drives directors to make films like this is they want not only to, to make a significant film or a serious film or whatever, but they often do want to push the public conversation in some ways. And I think, you know, for all of its failures, JFK did do that. Um, you know, Malcolm X, to a, which came out at the same time, basically, you know, also did that, uh, obviously in very different ways. Um, Right. So I think we've given some uh, our listeners some, some movies to watch if they haven't seen already. 
Yeah, I just want to name. I, I'm not gonna. I'm. I'm just gonna throw out some names because I. I had such a long list and oh, okay. possible thing to do. So things that people should also consider. I mean, we've mentioned Apollo 13 already. Mm. I, I would I, Apollo 13. I think is a great movie. Mm. Um, Argo. Oh yes. Really like Argo. Uh, and one I'm gonna stretch this now because the there's an American connection, but the Americans are in it as villains, really. But I really like it, and I wonder if it counts as an epic. Chariots of Fire. Good local connection, so yes. Yep. Uh, I mean, it's not really about American history. Um, it's about the 1924 Olympics, but uh, and there is a local connection. Uh, what else did I have on my list? I, well, I think that about covers it. What I will say is maybe it's like um, so-called dad history, and mm -hmm. and I, I imagine that uh, you know these are heavily male and heavily male focused. Uh, films. Now I don't know if that reflects us or the kinds of movies that get made because of the market they're 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 targeting. You know, I, I, th um, I, I think there's you know some commentators who've looked at this genre of film and have said you know they are coded male, and they're also slightly coded conservative, right? That that people who gravitate towards this are, are these kinds of films, especially things like Gettysburg are you know trying to depict a sort of glorious past you know maybe that never was uh but the, that that's you know the, there's a, a certain great man of history narrative embedded within many of these kinds of films um and and uh, a certain kinds of um narrative tropes um and i think we picked out some both some good films and some bad films um yeah, if anyone tells me that Gettysburg is their favorite film, I am I'm a, always a little bit bit worried about them. Not well, as much David, as if they say that you know Gone with the Wind is their favorite film. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, what's interesting in the history of but film is there there was that period in the middle of the twentieth century, the, the the first half of the twentieth century, going to the middle of the twentieth century when mm -hmm. Hollywood really did make epics. I mean, in terms of you yeah. know casts of thousands, and and you know. Argo, for example, I think is a great historical film. I'm not sure it's mm. a historic epic like Gone with the Wind. No, to um, be sure. Although its politics are much more <laughs> uh, well, compatible, I think. Yeah, and that's a interesting film because it's both a dramatic story and it's one where I think most of the people watching the film don't know the ending. Yeah. Right? So I think there's there, there's different challenges as a filmmaker when it's a story that everybody knows and the characters everybody knows. And then you have to figure out how to tell it in a compelling way. I think Argo was, was great because it was a story that very few people knew. Um, and it told it well um, with, with characters that you, you didn't know whether you should be attached to them or not until. Yeah. Anyway, time for last drops, Frank, what you got? Uh, Monticello has a new president. Uh, who will be joining the foundation, the Thomas Jefferson foundation, as of January 15th, there was a press release put out a week or so ago. Well, certainly since our last episode. And she is Jane Kamensky, late of Harvard University, where she ran the Schlesinger Library. And um, people are looking forward to welcoming Jane here in, in, in Charlottesville. So I just wanted to, to acknowledge that. Her arrival okay. is, is imminent. Imminent. Is imminent. Yes. Uh, a, a very distinguished scholar and also a novelist. Um, so, yes. Um Good. What about you, David? Uh, I want to recommend the or uh, encourage people to attend the Fennel Forum uh, this coming, or a week from today, uh, December 1st, uh, Friday. 
uh, I think most listeners are familiar with uh, the Fennel Lecture Series, but the Fennel Forum is a relatively new sort of uh, spinoff uh, of that, where we're having several historians speaking on a panel on a particular topic. Uh, and the topic uh, for this uh, Fennel Forum is on the history of energy. Uh, and so uh, we're having some... Um, Edinburgh local historians, uh, Martin Chick and, and Robert Suits. And Robert Suits is the final early career fellow who's been doing much of the organizing uh, for this on the panel. And uh, Marianna Dudley, who's a, a senior lecturer in environmental studies uh, at Bristol. And so it's going to be a, a forum on the history of energy and what happens when uh, energy consumption and habits uh, change and what that does for societies and, and the world. And obviously these are issues that are important in the past, but they're also important in the present, uh, thinking about our um, demise of our planet that is going to be imminent unless we all of a sudden all change to electric cars uh, and bicycles. Uh, so quite relevant. When, it's when is the forum? Online. It's Friday, uh, a week from today, December 1st at uh, 5, 5 p.m. till 6.30 uh, but it's going to be both in person uh, in Appleton Tower, if people are local here, uh, but also uh, online, I think on Zoom or online somehow. Uh, but I will put the link to the Eventbrite so people can join either in person uh, or remotely. Uh, so it'll be a good time. I will be there in person. Frank, I think you might be joining remotely or something, but, uh, you know, be, be a very interesting conversation. Uh, at least I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, great. Yeah, the final forum is always excellent. Great. Until next time, Frank. Cheers. Cheers, David. The Whiskey Rebellion is hosted by David Silkenet and Frank Cogliano. David is a senior lecturer in American history at the University of Edinburgh, and Frank is professor of American history and dean international for North America at the University of Edinburgh. The Whiskey Rebellion is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podbean. You can follow the show on Twitter at Whiskey Rebel Pod and like the show on Facebook for updates about current and future episodes.